going through the Gospel of John in our sermons each Sunday, and I mentioned last week that there's been a shift in chapter 5. That in the first few chapters of the Gospel of John, there was a lot of confusion about Jesus. Who is this guy? Why does he talk so weird? What's his deal? But in chapter 5, things change, and there starts to be opposition to Jesus. And last week, we saw at the beginning of chapter 5, Jews that were opposed to Jesus because he broke their Sabbath rules that they had added to Scripture. And so they're starting to notice this Sabbath break in Jesus here. And they start paying attention to this rabbi and they hear him teach and say even more shocking things. Specifically, they hear him call God his own father. That God is his father. Now, John, the disciple who has written the Gospel of John, has recorded some of Jesus' teaching on the subject where Jesus is describing his relationship with the Father. We find that in verses 17 through 30, and it focuses specifically on the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Now, I know some of you out there are completists, and you're like, but what about the Holy Spirit? I'm sorry, you have to wait till chapters 14 through 16 to get that. We are focusing exclusively on the Father and Son today. He'll get a shout out or two, but he is not specifically in the text today. So I would encourage you, if you've not done so already, open your Bibles or you can take out your bulletins. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It follows closely after what we looked at last week with the issue with the Sabbath, but it's the beginning of an extended teaching section by Jesus where really everything in here is the words of Jesus except for verse 18. And so let's hear the Word of God, Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 17 through 30. Hear the Word of the Lord. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here 
When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You speak We thank You, O Jesus, that You have spoken. And we thank You, O Holy Spirit, for preserving and recording and inspiring these words for us as well. We ask, O Lord, that You would please speak today through Your Word. That You would use me in spite of my sin, in spite of my weakness, to faithfully proclaim Your Word, expounding and applying it, that we would know what You say to us. And I pray that You would give us ears to hear that You would prevent us from distraction and that You would help us to understand and comprehend Your Word. We pray that You would open our hearts and minds that we might know You, that You might mold and shape us, that we delight in what You delight in, and that we believe what You would have us to believe. And so, Spirit, we pray that as the Word goes forth today, that You would be with Your Word and that You would be working Your purposes through Your Word, that You, O God, may be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, we're looking at this relationship between the Father and the Son. And we're going to see that Jesus gladly accomplishes that the work that the Father has given to Him. It is work that only He can accomplish because only Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so we're going to look in our passage today at the nature of this father-son relationship, what's going on here, try to dive in a little bit to the Trinity without getting too disoriented. And then we're going to see the work that Jesus has been given by His Father and then when, that is the timing that this work is accomplished. And so first thing we see in this passage is the nature of the relationship between the Father and the Son. We see it in verse 17 in a place that we don't seem to see it. We read that Jesus here is answering criticism about his apparent Sabbath breaking, that he is breaking the rules the Jewish people added to God's rules. But note that when Jesus responds to them, he does not say, your rules are not in Scripture. He doesn't say that here. He also does not say, hey, doing good on the Sabbath is allowed. He doesn't say that here either. In the other Gospels, he says things like that. And those are good answers. But here in John 5, Jesus says something else. Something that shocked and infuriated the Jewish people. He says, my father is working until now. And I am working. Jesus carefully chooses this word working when talking about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the day you were not to do any work on. 
And so he argues essentially that God works on the Sabbath. That yes, in Genesis we read that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. But that doesn't mean God takes a day off every seventh day and just sits back and chills and puts the universe on autopilot until Monday. No. God continues working. He is above the Sabbath. He continues to work each and every day. And Jesus is saying that this same principle applies to him because God is his father. That he too is able to work on the Sabbath when it is fulfilling the divine mission he has been sent on. When he is doing the work of God, he breaks the Sabbath. And so healing the invalid, the sick or paralyzed man from last week, was part of his divine mission, a sign of his greater work to come. And so by saying that he is working like his father, Jesus is claiming, I am more than a rabbi. I am more than a prophet. I am not just a messenger. And the Jews rightly note in verse 18, you, you are making yourself equal with God. And that's what he's doing. But then he goes on, and in verse 19, we're not quite sure equal is the right word. Jesus says, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the the father does, the son does likewise. At first glance, it sounds like Jesus is lesser than God because he cannot do anything on his own. He's trapped in some kind of role as a mimic copying only what the Father can do. Like he's just a really awesome Xerox machine that you just put it on there and I do what you do. But consider who Jesus says he is mimicking. It's God. Who can do what God can do except God himself? Jesus does what the Father does, meaning he can do things that only God can do. And so Jesus says he does everything his loving father shows him to do. The son sees what the father does, and he does all that he sees. Perhaps in his mind, Jesus was thinking about his earthly father, Joseph, who trained him in carpentry, showing him how do you work the wood to make it useful and beautiful, to make different projects that he had learned, he had apprenticed under his earthly father. That in the same way, Jesus also does what his heavenly father has shown him. And some of that, he says, is working on the Sabbath and healing this man from last week. As we heard in our Old Testament reading, who else is capable of doing what God can do except God? Or in the words of Jesus, who else is capable of doing what the father can do? Who has even seen what the father does? Jesus is saying, I have. I can do that. He is making himself equal to the Father even while he gladly submits himself to the Father. These ideas of the Son submitting to the Father raise questions concerning the Trinity for us and how God works. That the Son and the Holy Spirit are the same in substance with the Father. They are equal in power and glory. But the Son also delights in doing the Father's will. And they all work together with the Holy Spirit, with one unified divine will and purpose. And yet they do so in their own distinctly personal ways. As one theologian writes, the Father 
initiates, he sends, he commands, he commissions, he grants. Whereas the son responds, obeys, performs his father's will and receives authority. You could not flip those around and assign those to the other persons. They do what is right for each of them to do. Now, we don't have time to get into all the mind-bending questions about the inner workings of the Trinity, at least time that you want to give. But rest assured that if you are sitting there and smoke is coming out of your ears, these questions have been discussed and addressed by Christians for 2,000 years. If you're sitting here going, what you just said is baloney, well, good news for you. You're not the first one to think that. And Christians have written about this for many, many years. Many brilliant minds have come before us who have written on the Trinity and the church has professed its faith in the triune God for centuries. And so if you are puzzled or if you'd simply like to learn more, come talk to me. I'd love that. I have a few short books in my office on the Trinity to introduce you into these topics. I'd be happy to share them, lend them, buy one for you. If you want to know more, learn more because everyone else is like, I can't be here till two o'clock today talking about the Trinity. And I understand that. And so we see this, the nature of the father and son here, that they are one in will and purpose and yet distinctly working in their own personal ways. And so one of the ways we see that here is that the father gives the son work to accomplish. We see what Jesus says in verse 20, greater works than these will he, the father, show him, Jesus, so that you may marvel. He says, I've already been doing stuff that the father has shown me, but there is far more the father has shown me that's going to make you go, wow. In fact, the miracles you have seen me do are nothing in comparison to the greater works that I will accomplish. Jesus goes on to describe these greater works using the concepts of life and judgment. And these ideas of life and judgment are like two sides of the same coin. They go together and yet they are opposites. We read in verses 21 and 22, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son. Now, as we'll see, this life is not natural life, but a spiritual or eternal life. And the judgment here is the holy condemnation of God against sin. And this all sounds great to us, but consider again, who is saying these words? This is not John the disciple writing about Jesus. This is Jesus speaking to the Jews of his day. That doesn't phase us. But imagine the Jews sitting there listening to Jesus, looking at this untrained rabbi from some remote district far away, like Greene County, okay? And he was some normal-looking guy. And even if he had done miracles, even if he had taught with authority, he is claiming the power to give eternal life and to pronounce final judgment on all people. See, prophets like Elijah had done miracles. Kings like Solomon had spoken wisely. But no man had ever said that he gives life and pronounces judgment. But Jesus had been chosen by the Father to do these great things. These things the Father had shown him. 
And we see in verse 23 how important it is that we recognize the Father has given this work to Jesus. Jesus has been given these greater works that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That far from being a lesser God, Jesus says to these Jewish people that He should be honored just as God the Father is honored. That He is worthy of the same worship. And anyone who tries to worship God apart from worshiping Him is not rightly worshiping God. We see that in verse 24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Notice he's placing importance on him who sent me. We must believe that Jesus has been sent by the Father to give eternal life. That he has the power to save us from judgment, to bring us from death to life. There are plenty of ways throughout history that people have tried to worship God without worshiping Jesus or by wrongly worshiping Jesus. You can look at some very obvious examples, whether it's adherence to Judaism or to Islam, that try to worship the one true God without worshiping Jesus. Others displace Jesus from his central role. Groups like Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the exclusive saving work of Jesus Christ and twist the truth to set him off to the side. They do not honor Christ rightly and therefore do not honor God. And what Jesus himself says is they will fall under his judgment. That worshiping Jesus is of utmost importance. And it feels weird to say that in a church like, yeah, we got that. We're here to worship Jesus. That's, we got a cross up here. Jesus is a big deal. But even this idea of setting Jesus aside can creep in to the church. Whether it's in ways like the Roman Catholic Church emphasizing our good works and reliance on the institutional church instead of focusing exclusively on what Christ has done for us. Or in other believers that focus on our behavior in a kind of legalistic way that what I care about is I do these things and I don't do these things instead of focusing on the one who has done all things for me. That what Jesus is saying here and what he shows all throughout the Gospel of John is we need him. That he is at the center of everything. He changes everything. That he alone gives what we need and desire. That he alone has been sent by the Father to give us life and save us from the judgment we deserve for our sins. And this salvation is freely available. He says, whoever believes my word and in him who sent me comes from death to life. He offers us, believe in me. So he's been given this work of life and judgment. And he goes on in verses 25 through 29 to tell us when he does this stuff. I'm going to be doing some great works. Here's when you can come see them is essentially what he's telling us. In verse 25, he says, an hour is coming and is now here. And so some of the work the father has given him was being done then and is still being done now. But then in verse 28, he says, an hour is coming. 
And you don't hear the end is now here. It's just an hour is coming. And so something still awaits in the future. Some work of life and judgment is left undone still at this moment. And this twofold timing of Jesus' work helps understand why Jesus confused a whole bunch of people. The Jews were waiting for their Messiah to come and fulfill all of God's promises at one time. To inaugurate a kingdom to rule as king over all the earth, to subdue all enemies and restore God's people to the highest place. And Jesus did that, in a sense. He did inaugurate the kingdom of God when he came to earth. He did bring salvation to sinners, as he says in verse 24, that we who believe have eternal life. Not we will have it, but we have it now. And yet we still await the fullness of the kingdom because sin still corrupts all people in the world. Disease and death cast a shadow over life. Christ reigns in heaven over all the earth, and yet the earthly rulers and people rebel against Him. We wait for Christ to return and make all things new as He has promised to do. And so here in John 5, Jesus is telling us, I'm going to do these great works. And some of it's going to happen now, and some of it's not happening yet. Some will still be completed in the future. In verses 25 through 27, he says, here's what's happening now. That the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. In this passage, Jesus is not talking about the physically dead, but the spiritually dead. Like our New Testament reading from Ephesians 2, that we are dead, we are spiritually dead in our sins, but Christ through His Word and the Word of the Gospel, brings new spiritual life. He brings eternal life to believers now. That the Spirit makes people born again. And friends, the voice of Jesus still speaks today through the Bible. The Spirit still works through the Word of God so that sinners can be given life from Jesus by believing the good news of the Gospel. The Spirit crazily uses pastors like me to preach the Word of God, trusting that the voice of Christ goes forth with His Word to give life to those who are dead in their sin. That it is a great work of Christ when sinners are made alive in Him, when the Spirit renews their heart and will to delight in the Lord and desire to obey God's commands. And that this work of Christ has been happening since Jesus walked to the earth And still happens today. It happens here. That Jesus is doing great works even here today. And yet Jesus tells us some of his great works are still to come. In verses 28 and 29 we read, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus here is speaking of the final judgment when every person who has ever lived will stand before Jesus in judgment, that there is a reckoning for this life. And the Father has appointed Christ. He has said, Christ, you are the judge. All judgment has been given to you. And this judgment is distinguished here in terms of good or evil works. And these works are the evidence for judgment. They are the evidence as opposed to the basis for judgment. In a court case, evidence 
helps prove the guilt or innocence. It does not establish or ground the guilt or innocence. It helps prove. And so similarly, when we move from death to life, believing in Jesus, the Spirit works in us evidence of this new life that is in us. And so this final judgment will be one of Christ's greatest works that the Father has uniquely given Him to accomplish. And He has assured us that the one who judges you is the very one who has died for you. The one who will stand in judgment over all people is the same one who says, whoever believes in me will have life and will pass from judgment to life. And we are to hear that word today. Jesus tells us in verse 30 that his judgment will be just on that day. It will be perfect because nothing less than a perfect judgment would glorify God that Jesus so loves his Father that he wants this judgment to be a wonderful judgment day. And he has done all that is necessary to save those who will stand for life in the judgment. He accomplished the great works the Father gave him. He lived the life of perfect obedience and righteousness for us. He died a substitutionary death as a sacrifice for our sins. He rose again to show He has power over death. He said, I want to do all of this so that on that judgment day, it is not just guilty across the board, but that there is life. Jesus seeks the will of His Father even now. And He gives eternal life to all who believe in Him. He fills us with the Spirit so that the saving work that He accomplished would be applied to us and He clothes us in His own righteousness that we can stand on that day. Not confident in the good we have done, but confident in the good He has done. And so as we hear the voice of Christ speaking through the Word of God today, let us hear His Word and believe. Let us not wait for the day of judgment when there will not be that moment to believe. Let us believe in Jesus who was sent by the Father to accomplish our salvation. Let us believe in the Father who lovingly sent His own Son to live, die, and rise again for us. And let us pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us to do good by obeying the Father just as Jesus delighted in obeying His Father's will. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for sending Jesus, for giving Him the power to give life. And we thank You that those whom He chooses, He gives life to. And that we see that come through in the belief, the faith that You give to us. And we ask, O Lord, that You would give that gift of faith in great measure. Spirit, I pray that those who are dead in their sins would be made alive in Christ. That even here today, O Jesus, You would do Your greater works of bringing life where there is only spiritual death. God, we pray that you would please work in us, bringing life not just to give us eternal security and salvation, but giving us life that we can enjoy joy and peace now as we live for you, O Lord, in this world. Oh God, we pray that like Jesus, you would help us to submit to your will gladly, knowing that when it's a comparison between what you want and what we want, you are always right. So may we trust in you and follow you and glorify Jesus who has saved us. In His name we pray. Amen.